Hello and welcome to another episode of the Sports Travel Podcast, where we interview leaders from throughout the sports event industry. This is Matt Traub, Managing Editor of Sports Travel, and our guest today is Tim Trefsker, Vice President of Honeycomb Strategies. But before we begin, first a word from our sponsor. This episode of the Sports Travel Podcast is being sponsored by the Teams Conference and Expo, the world's largest gathering of sport event organizers and the destinations and suppliers that serve the sports event industry. Teams 23 will be held in the Palm Beaches of Florida from October 2nd through the 5th, 2023. The conference will again feature the co-location of the U.S. Olympic and Paralympic Sports Link Program and NGB Best Practices Seminar, as well as the annual symposium of the National Congress of State Games. For more details on everything planned at Teams, please visit teamsconference.com. And now, on to the conversation. Sustainability has never been a more important factor in the sports market with events that are some of the most high-profile in the world. Tim Trefsker has led sustainability efforts at Mercedes-Benz Stadium, SoFi Stadium in Hollywood Park, the Super Bowl, College Football Playoff, and the Atlanta Falcons, among others. Tim co-founded the Sustainable Sport Index, the sport industry's first benchmark of sustainability. We talked with him recently on how sports organizations can use its events to educate people about climate change, how much sustainability has increased as a priority in sports and its venues, the most important topics of focus still needed for venues to be sustainable, and much more. We hope you enjoy the conversation. Tim Tefser, welcome to the Sports Travel Podcast today. Hey, thanks for having me. How can sports organizations use events to educate people about climate change and sustainability, especially with it being so top of mind in recent years? Sports have um, such a great platform for creating awareness in societal and environmental change. I mean, we've, we've been seeing it even more so recently in the last five, 10 years with athletes, um, you know, standing for different causes. I think athletes themselves could, you know, certainly make their platform a, a sounding board for all the environmental issues that face us, but also events, venues, teams, you know, the sponsors of teams. There's a variety of different ways that sustainability can be brought up into the mainstream conversation. Um, Sports just is a great way to amplify that. And, you know, one example of that could be in Phoenix with uh, the Footprint Center where the Phoenix Suns play. I mean, they've got a naming rights sponsor who is creating sustainable products, compostable products that otherwise may not be well known. And they're using that platform to help not only sell their their uh, their brand, but also to create awareness about the issue around waste and waste diversion. So, you know, I think that there's a lot of different ways, but, you know, all, all together, sports are just such a powerful platform that any recognition about the issue around climate change is, is going to create some level of interest and, and impact. How much, in your opinion, has sustainability increased as a priority in sports and its venues? Obviously, you mentioned the Footprint Center being a very prominent example of that. Yeah, I um I've been doing I've been involved in sustainability in sports for gosh over 13 14 years now and compared to where we were in 2010 when I started it's um it's definitely become part of the mainstream conversation in the business of sports. Does that mean that we're where we need to be? No. Um we certainly have a long way to go. In fact, I I was just um, at the Green Sports Alliance Summit last week at Climate Pledge Arena in Seattle. 
I went to the very first Green Sports Alliance Summit in 2011, and we're still having a lot of the same conversations that we were then. However, I will say that the audience has grown much more. Not only are teams and venues involved, but the whole supply chain that you know supports the support the sports industry is is there, and they're having these conversations. So it's definitely come a long way. But again. It's also just knowing the the imperative that we're facing with climate change. I think uh, we definitely have have to make strides. And one of the one of the key uh, phrases that I took away from last week was, "If you're going slow, you're losing." And I think that's certainly true. You know, we we can be moving in the right direction, but if we're not moving quickly enough, then we're still just you know not winning. So. It's been nice to see the the change in the industry over over the last couple of decades, but um, hoping that we can continue to accelerate it. You mentioned that you start for, you first started getting into this around 2010. What got you started and interested into the business of sustainability in the first place? I was um, actually I've been in sustainability my entire professional career. Um, so about 15, 16 years, I studied real estate in uh, my undergraduate program and thought I would go into you know something related to the built environment, um, but was introduced to LEED certification and green building practice and um, have always been interested and passionate about the environment, but never had really considered uh, the two, uh, two, two of my passions in one. So I ended up pursuing a sustainability internship with a local uh, construction company. And ultimately, that led into a job working with different building types, uh, going through the LEED certification process. And LEAD for those listeners who aren't aware is an acronym for leadership in energy and environmental design. You know, it's really become commonplace nowadays, but, you know, back in the early to mid 2000s, it was uh, still a relatively new practice and a new conversation for the building industry. After doing that for a few years, I, I realized I wanted to do something more holistic and with an organization rather than on a building by building level. And at the time, not many people had sustainability experience, let alone sustainability and convention center experience, which uh, I had done a number of convention centers as part of my consulting work. And so I ended up getting a job as the first sustainability director with the then at the time, the Georgia Dome, um, now the Mercedes-Benz Stadium, the Georgia World Congress Center, which is 4 million square foot convention center and Centennial Olympic Park all in downtown Atlanta. And that's ultimately how I got into the sustainability and sports space. Honeycomb, earlier this year, you guys announced a partnership with ASM Global in terms of tracking sustainability and sustainable use of its venues. How did you get involved with ASM Global and connected with them in the first place? And what impacts early on have you seen to date in that partnership? I actually came on board full time with Honeycomb uh, just a few months ago, but I've been working with the organization for many, many years on a, a part time basis. So I'm uh, really excited to be on board full time and and in part have done that transition because of the relationship with ASM Global that was made. I think ASM Global is still a 
relatively new organization, a, a you know a merger between AEG facilities and SMG to create this new entity in 2019. It really, as a new organization, recognized that sustainability is critical to not only their long-term success, but to each of their venues that they operate, to the success of those on a day-to-day basis, for everything from operational efficiencies to sales and marketing of their venues to potential events and um and even to the attendees that attend those events, they're looking at the sports and entertainment industry now to be leaders in this space again because of that great platform that we've got. So yes, um, just in early April this year, we announced uh, new sustainability goals for ASM Global that are very aggressive, industry-leading sustainability goals for our industry you know, ultimately leading up to carbon neutrality by 2050, but we've got some goals as early as 2024 in in some of our saver venues, which are our food and beverage uh, service arm, including, you know, looking at 35% of our options, our offerings being plant-based, another being um, front of house plastic free uh, serviceware by 2025. So these are really um, aggressive, but needed goals. And, you know, the partnership became, uh, I I believe, as a result of ASM, just recognizing that they needed to be um, better in this space. And Honeycomb has been around for uh, since 2009. So we've really become recognized as leaders in the hospitality and live events sustainability space. So they they came calling and it was a good fit. What are the most important topics of focus, in your opinion, still needed for sports venues to be sustainable? I think everyone goes, everyone jumps right to waste um, because it's, you know, the most visible uh, aspect of, you know, an event sustainability attributes. And so I think that has been low-hanging fruit that a lot of event venues and event operators have um, tackled early on. And granted, it's still an issue in a lot of places. Um, I think that that has been an early success for the industry. Where we really need to focus, I think, are, are a few different areas. Uh, one being food and beverage, uh, considering that the carbon impact of a an event or venue's Food and beverage services are are very are, take a large portion of that carbon impact. So focusing on you know whether it be fair trade, local, organic, seasonal food service offerings, plant based food service offerings, uh, likewise the the products that you're offering that food and beverage on uh, really need to be part of the conversation. And and that again is. Is happening more and more, but um, probably not to the level that it needs to be. Likewise, I think the largest uh, the largest carbon attribute of an event is uh, of a sporting event is the transportation of all the fans coming to the venue. There's really little that can be done outside of promoting alternative transportation. But now nowadays, there are ways to measure the carbon impact of fan and attendee travel and offsetting that with carbon offsets, which is becoming something more prevalent that we've seen. Likewise, a lot of venues are now offsetting their 
their carbon impact from utilities, electricity generation through renewable energy credits. So that's something that we're seeing a lot more of, Matt, is um, venues and events wanting to simply understand what their carbon footprint is. So we can we can baseline a an event or venue's carbon impact and then offer different solutions for ha- helping to mitigate that, whether it be directly through operations or through offsets. We've talked a little bit about reaction that we've seen and changes in the industry. What have you seen in terms of the people who are going to venues and fans and fan engagement and fan experience when it comes to sustainable practices within those venues? How have those attitudes changed over the years? Yeah, that's a great question. And I think it's tough to say because, you know, most, uh, especially at a, for a sporting event, the fans aren't going to get a sustainability education or to learn about the environment. However, I have seen a lot of events and venues incorporate sustainability into the messaging of the event. For instance, I was at the Atlanta United soccer match at Mercedes-Benz Stadium. We've started incorporating a, a recycle and win campaign. So fans who are caught recycling can win um, various United gear. And so, and then they get put up on the halo board. So they get their picture in front of everyone. And it's just a small, simple way of recognizing that they're doing the right behavior or, or trying to help the venue and its zero waste um, practices. So I think, you know, as a way they're seeing it's it's being done. So it's influencing behavior, but also a lot of event organizers now are requiring or including in their um, in their RFPs sustainability criteria from their vendors or from a venue. And so in a lot of cases, it's becoming part of a, a business necessity in order to earn business. So there, and there are certain um, non-sporting event examples, but like entertainers like Billie Eilish and Coldplay, who are requiring various sustainability practices in order to uh, host their concerts in different venues. And so, I think as it's becoming more mainstream, it's part of the conversation now. It's just going to become more and more critical for um, a business to be successful in the long term. Greenwashing is a phrase that's heard more in sports lately. How can you see when the talk does not measure up to the actions and venue operations as an expert in this field? That too is a is a tough one, um, simply because it requires a lot of research and understanding of the different language. Um, and I think in a lot of cases, it's when there is greenwashing, it's unintentional. It's, you know, simply somebody in maybe a comms team or a PR team that is not as familiar with the language and getting something incorrect. Rarely do I see it as something intentionally done as a way to market um, themselves as being greener than they actually are. But it has resulted in um, green hushing, which is now, uh, you know, becoming commonplace where teams and venues or businesses of any variety are afraid to even market the good things that they're doing because um, they're of a fear of getting called out for greenwashing, even though it'd be unintentional. So I think it's a fine line. You know, we, we've got to assume the best and in order to actually uncover greenwashing, I think it requires somebody who's really knowledgeable about the, the language and of of the industry and 
also, I think needs us to result in um, celebrating more, celebrating the wins that we do have. And I mentioned earlier, I don't think we're moving fast enough, but it is important to celebrate those wins because it just goes to encourage more and more improvement in the in the space. And ultimately, that's what we're we're seeking to achieve. What are the best practices from your perspective that anybody can do, regardless of the size of an organization, to really kind of jumpstart? their sustainable impact and sustainability measures of their events. That's what we at Honeycomb Strategies really try to do is um, we go into an event, we go into a venue and simply do a gap analysis or an, an impact assessment where we can observe and meet with different stakeholders of of the organization and understand where they currently are today, what are they doing and what opportunities lie ahead that they may not think are feasible or that they may not even be aware of and putting together really a comprehensive strategy for going forward. So, you know, the old saying goes, you can't manage what you don't measure. And I really think that that applies here. So understanding, you know, your utility consumption, your waste generation, where your food is coming from, uh, where your other uh, supplies that you're purchasing are coming from, but also just simply understanding what your vendors, your suppliers, your contractors are doing as well, um, because uh, we forget, but this industry holds a lot of sway. And if you're able to influence the small changes in, in your supply chain, you can create a, a major ripple effect because those same suppliers are working with other events or other venues and um, maybe changing some practice for you is ultimately going to create uh, a change for many other clients of theirs. You know, So I think that's really where I would suggest starting is simply measuring and understanding where you're your gaps are, and then um, strategizing, putting in together a three to five to 10 year plan that really helps lay the groundwork for where you can go. What do you see in the near and long-term future and how this issue is going to be addressed by event organizers and venues? I think it's going to continue to be um, a really critical item as um, more and more event planners and, and venue operators are are understanding that you know this is a competitive industry and we're you don't want to be left behind by any means and uh, we're already seeing you know the the laggards starting to rise up because they already are are you know a little bit behind. So I think you know it's just going to become more and more prevalent. Certifications are always a really great avenue for venue operators or planners because you know it's a it's a third party verified proof that you're doing what you're saying you're doing. And so we're seeing more and more certification requests coming. And there are several now that apply to the sports and events industries. ISO 2012-1 is a sustainable event management tool that uh, was developed for the Olympics in 2012, and they've been using it ever since. True Zero Waste is another one that focuses on waste uh, reduction and diversion. That's another one that's applicable. And then the Events Industry Council has a sustainable event 
management certification as well. And as I mentioned, lead certification is kind of the OG of uh, building certification. So that's always seemingly relevant in the venues world. But I think it's um, going to continue to elevate as, you know, a way to demonstrate and verify the fact that you're not greenwashing. You have met certain criteria and you're, you know, through that certification. Tim, well, appreciate you taking your time out uh, talk about sustainability and climate change and all the things that venues and organizers can do. And thank you for appearing on the Sports Travel Podcast. Yeah, thanks for having me. Anytime. This has been another edition of the Sports Travel Podcast. Thanks for listening. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast on all your favorite platforms, including iTunes, Google Play, and Spotify. Past episodes are available at sportstravelmagazine.com, which features breaking news and in-depth features on stories related to the sports event industry. Be sure to visit us daily at sportstravelmagazine.com, at Sports Travel on Twitter and Instagram, and at Sports Travel Magazine on Facebook and LinkedIn. Until then, this is Matt Trout for Sports Travel, and thanks for listening.